John 14, verses 2 through 3. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come back and take you to be with me that, you'll also, that you also may be where I'm at. In Acts 1.11, angels speaking to the disciples. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand there looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Look, today, I, I want to talk about what the return of Christ brings. And I know that there's a lot of things that precede it. There's a lot of things that happen at the moment of. And, and we'll take some time later uh, around Thanksgiving and December going into the new year uh, to talk about that as we, we look at Revelation. But right now, I just want to look at what his return brings. It's going to bring a lot of wonderful, a lot of wonderful. You know, it's clear that the Spirit of God is going to one day complete his work of convicting the world of sin and drawing people to Jesus. And when this day comes, there's going to be a point when the Son of God will return to earth, come a second time. And when Jesus returns, he'll bring to an end many old things. And when he returns, he'll also bring about the beginning of many new things. And there will be a day when Jesus restores the kingdom. The words from Acts 1-6. What, what, what kingdom is this? It's the kingdom that God has had the blueprint for before the foundations of the world. It's what he's had in mind from the start. This wasn't an accident and, and he rearranged and made adjustments along the way. No, this is exactly as he's planned it. We've had glimpses and hits, hints of this blueprint along the way in the story of God. God revealed part of it to Abraham, that, that he had a plan through Christ, the offspring of Abraham, in which he would bless all nations. And from these nations he, that he would bless, God wanted to make th those people into one nation, one kingdom, a kingdom of priests. And we see greater glimpses of this in Acts when at the very birth of the church, it, it goes international. And, and then later, at the, at the scattering of the church and the death of Stephen and the persecution that Saul brought the, to the church, the, the Spirit of God begins turning non-Jewish outsiders into insiders of the kingdom. Everyone who believes gets included on the Abraham promise. And it's in Revelation that we get the largest glimpse of God's blueprint for the kingdom. In the end, when Jesus returns, he gathers all those he has saved, those that he purchased with his blood. And we hear it in the song around the throne of God, the blueprint confirmed. And later we get to see the great multitude that no one can count, people from every nation, tribe, language, and people group standing before the throne bought, purchased by his blood. That's why they're standing there. No other reason. This is the restoration of the kingdom, the fulfillment of, of, of many people into one nation, washed of their sin, forgiven, redeemed, and whole, serving God as his people of priests. And there's definitely a lot of things that precede this scene 
scenes from the end of the world. But this, this is where everything is heading. And this is what Christ's return will eventually bring about. What's it going to be like? What will be new and unfamiliar? What will have passed away and, and will be no more? Well, first of all, it's, it's going to be a, a bit like what Adam and Eve had in the beginning. Remember, they, they were in a perfect world. They were without sin. They, they, they walked with no shame, and they walked with God in a beautiful garden. In that garden, there was the tree of life, the tree that they never got a chance to eat from. But in the new world, in the new kingdom, we're going to see the tree of life again. But this time, we'll be able to eat from it. It's, it's familiar to what was in the garden, to the beginning of God's story. But in the end, there's going to be the river of God, the river of life flowing from the throne and the tree of life there. And it all started in a garden, but it's going to end in a city. It'll be a beautiful city. It'll end with that city that is central to his new kingdom and a new earth. And at Jesus' return and, the, and the following the, the restoration of God's kingdom, there's going to be no sun shining on our faces like it warmed Adam and, Adam and Eve in the garden because God is going to be our light. He is going to be the light on our faces. There's going to be no nighttime. There's going to be no need to, to leave the light on because you're scared at night because there won't be any light switches or lamps or anything like that because God himself will dispel all darkness. There will be no dark. In the beginning, in the garden, there was something to do. God put Adam and Eve there to work and tend the garden. You see, work is not a part of the curse. In the new kingdom, we'll be serving God, and there'll be some sort of ruling and governing of the new earth. The scriptures describe kings of the earth bringing their splendor to the city of God in the new kingdom. But with this new kingdom, there's no doing things by the old systems and the ways of the world. There's no good old boy network. We won't be the same people grasping for the tree of knowledge of good and evil. See, that tree is not described as being in God's restored kingdom. Why? Well, because we will have been transformed into the likeness of Jesus. We'll be able to, to work together and, and with God and for God in perfect unity. No selfish motives, no, no strange or evil desires, but everything good, whole, perfect. In this new restored kingdom, we won't feel endangered or threatened. It'll be different than the garden and the, and the garden's element of danger. Because Satan will not be present to tempt or deceive us. After Jesus returns, there'll be a moment when Satan's time will be up and he'll be thrown into the lake of fire. He and all his workers and angels. The enemy, enemy, the enemy will be gone. And guess who instead we get to be with? God himself. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. God and humans will dwell Together, he will be with us face to face. We will look into his face, 
Revelation 22.4. You see what I'm describing here? In God's kingdom, in the kingdom restored by Jesus, the Son, it's going to be perfect. There's no sin, no more curse, no death, no mourning or crying, not even pain. And because of the work of Jesus and the Holy Spirit, we will have been made perfect so that we don't ruin that perfection of that kingdom. We can be a part of it. In fact, the Lord reveals to John that nothing impure will ever enter his kingdom, nor anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful. And when Jesus, when he spoke in parables, earthly stories with heavenly meanings, he tried to describe the kingdom and about the people in the kingdom. And he also tried to describe those outside the kingdom. And in the parable of the wedding banquet, the parable of the ten virgins, the parable of the talents, those who don't trust and follow the master are thrown outside the doors in darkness. You know, Jesus was using figures of speech to describe something heavenly so that we could grasp it. And here in Revelation, the physical description of the kingdom, the gates are never shut and there is no night. Jesus' words are to warn us that we want to be inside the kingdom and we don't want to be outside it, wherever outside is. The one thing that's very clear is that only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life will enter into this perfect kingdom. You know, every Sunday morning, Sue Pennison, our children's director, comes up here and she asks the kids, what, what is this book? What is this book, kids? It's the Bible. And what is it? It's the most important book in the whole wide world. It is. We have the story of God recorded and printed and so we can pour over it and know it and so we can know him. It is an eternal story for God's word is eternal and true. But there is another book that's pretty important. And I don't know, maybe, maybe the book of life is just a continuation of this book, you know. It ends with, with, with the, what happens in the church, Acts 28, but maybe... Maybe the book of life starts Acts 29, 30, 31, 32. Maybe. Or maybe it's just a separate altogether book. I don't know. But I know that it speaks of our eternal destiny. And you should want your name in that Lamb's book of life. Jesus' book of life. It's... If there's, you know, we've, we've talked about find your story in his story. If there was ever a moment where you want to be written into the story, it's in that part of it. I want my name in that book. I want my name to be a part in that story. If your name is not found in that book, there are dire consequences Revelation 20, 14, 15 says, those whose names are not in the book of life are thrown into the lake of fire. And I don't care if you think the lake of fire is figurative, if you think it's literal, whether you think it's an immediate annihilation or whether you think it's eternal torment, any way you cut it, you don't want to be there. Really? Yeah. 
I mean, where you want to be is inside the kingdom. You want to be with God, his light shining on your face. We've been talking about finding your story in his story, and this is the ultimate place to be found in his story. God has made you. He's pursued you. He has paid a price for you so that if you trust him, you can be with him. When he returns and brings about the end of all the old and begins the new, you want to be able to, you want, you want him to be able to not even have to go, wait a minute, do I know you? Wait a minute, let, let me check the book. I need to check the list. No, when you come into the kingdom, you want him to say, I know this one. We've been talking quite a while. We know each other well. That's what you want. You want to be in relationship with him now so that on that day he says, I know this one. So how is a person supposed to get their name in the Lamb's book of life? Well, Jesus said, eternal life is knowing the true God and his son, Jesus Christ. John 17, 3. Jesus also said that you will cross over from death to life when you hear his words and you believe him. For 16 weeks, you've heard his story, who he is. I believe that we've tried to communicate his heart towards all people. You've gotten a chance to to know him. And now it's a matter of trust and believing what you've heard about him. And for you to say, I believe that story is true. The question is, how are you going to respond to the story of God? Jesus said you can respond in one of two ways. One, you can hear his words, the word of God, and then do nothing about it. That's a choice like building your house, building your life on sand. Or two, you can hear his words, the word of God to you, and then you can act on it, respond, put his words into practice. That choice is like building your house, building your life on a rock foundation. Now what Jesus said is either choice, either choice, folks, there's a storm coming. It's going to hit the house built on sand and it's going to hit the house on the rock. Just because you build your house on the rock doesn't mean there won't be a storm. But the difference is, is that your house, your life will stand. It will not fall. Now you can look at Jesus' teaching on building on the rock or building on the sand as, well, there's going to be storms in life. Or you can look at it as the storm of his final analysis, his judgment in the end. Have you trusted him? If you trusted his word and built your life on it, trusting him, your life will stand. So, it's our chance to respond. We're going to worship. I think some of our hearts can be expressed to him in our worship. During that worship, there's times where we're offering our prayers to him, our thanksgiving, our, our love, our adoration to him. 
There's also maybe moments while we're singing and worshiping that, that we're uh, confessing. We're realigning ourselves with him. All those things are good and right. And there might be some here, maybe one or two, that are saying, I've never aligned myself with this story. I've never said, that's true. I believe it. And if that's the case, it's a chance to respond today. Say, yeah. In fact, I think it's so true, I'm going to build my whole life upon it. I'm going to listen to the words of Jesus. I'm going to respond. I'm not going to sit around any longer and just let the words pass through me, pass on by me. So today, there's a chance to respond. We're going to stand, if you'd stand right now with me. And of course, there's a chance to respond beyond this moment. We can respond to God, not just in a church gathering. We can respond to him at any time. But this is a time where there's people that care about you, that would be willing to pray with you, to encourage you, and give you some direction on first steps. Let's worship.